This is Dan Wilson Uncancelled. Let's go. time for star U.S. journalist Megyn Kelly. And America was plunged into another toxic and divisive debate yesterday after one of the biggest mass school shootings ever. The gunman opened fire at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, murdering 19 young children and two adults before he was killed by law enforcement. The 18-year-old shooter was armed with a handgun and an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle when he barricaded himself inside a fourth-grade classroom where all his victims were, according to investigators. This latest school shooting, the 27th this year alone and deadliest since Sandy Hook a decade ago, has reignited the fierce debate over gun control in America and resulted in an extraordinary primetime Oval Office address from a furious President Joe Biden. As a nation, we have to ask, when in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby? When in God's name we do what we all know in our gut needs to be done? Where in God's name is our backbone to have the courage to deal with it and stand up to the lobbies? It's time to turn this pain into action for every parent, for every citizen in this country. We have to make it clear to every elected official in this country. It's time to act. So, Megan, there was lots of anger there from Joe Biden. But do you think he got the tone right? No, not at all. I think he's supposed to be the comforter in chief in a moment like this. He's supposed to offer his condolences to the people of Texas to try to explain. I thought the part where he talked about what it's like to lose a child, because he did uh, back in his younger days, was good. And then he had to go to the, the gun place. And I understand that's how the left wing of the country feels, but it's divisive because the right wing of the country thinks that's a non-starter. And I'll tell you, Dan, I, you and I don't get into my own personal politics that much, but I'm from New York State. New York State is largely blue. I grew up in a town that wasn't very pro-gun and a family that wasn't very pro-gun, though we were Catholic, so socially we had our conservative leanings. Um, I'm not a pro-gun person. I, I'm a lawyer. So I would like to know, as a mother and a lawyer, show me the reform that's going to protect my children, and I'm behind it. I will support it. I don't care if it upsets the pro-gun lobby. Not even a bit. I care about my children. But literally, they haven't shown me one that would have prevented this shooting or the shooting we had in Buffalo, New York last week. The one the Democrats are pushing now is about universal background checks for private sales of guns so that you can run a background check on, you know, if I want to give my gun to you, they'd have to run a background check on you. That's not those are not the cases that lead to these guns being in the hands of mass shooters. Th that's never the problem. Then they say, OK, well, let's expand, expand the uh, FBI waiting period where the FBI looks into your background from three days to seven days. OK, there's one shooting I can think of that where that might have played a role, but probably not because the FBI is overworked and understaffed and really doesn't prioritize these background checks. And if they don't get back to you within that three or maybe expanded seven days, you get the gun. Here's the reality. I was born into a country in which there are now about 330 million people, and there are almost 430 million guns. There are over 400 million guns in the United States. People don't realize that. 
There's no getting rid of the guns. That's absurd. It's not going to happen. I didn't ask for this world. I was born into it. Those children down in Texas were born into it. And it's a reality with which we must deal because the right to have a gun is written into the Constitution. It is a constitutional yes. right. You may, you may disagree with that if you are on the left. The Supreme Court has so held. That's the final ruling. That's it. So and I think that's one of do? the points, Megan, that a lot of folk in the UK don't understand. It is a constitutional issue in the US. But look, you know, uh, yeah. I, I just want to play you, Megan, uh, the, the, this, this very emotional moment from Steve Kerr. So he coaches the Golden State Warriors NBA team and he's gone viral after he gave what can only be described as, as a very heated press conference after the shooting. Children murdered at school. When are we gonna do something? There's 50 senators right now who refuse to vote on HR 8, which is a background check rule that the House passed a couple years ago. It's been sitting there for two years. You realize that 90% of Americans, regardless of political party, want Background check, universal background check. 90% of us, we are being held hostage by 50 senators in Washington who refuse to even put it to a vote, despite what we, the American people, want. They won't vote on it because they want to hold on to their own power. It's pathetic. I've had enough. So obviously, Megan, he was, he was very angry. Is, is that... 90% figure that he points to over the background checks true? The majority is in favor of background checks for these guns uh, and, and gun sales. And, and it's great. Uh, obviously, you want to look into the background of the person applying for a gun permit. But, Dan, it wouldn't have stopped these shootings. The vast majority of these shootings, especially these school shootings, you know what they're committed with? A gun that a kid got from his dad's closet. The kids take the guns from the parents in the vast majority of the school shootings cases. So the, the background check is irrelevant. I'm sorry, Steve Kerr, but that's a red herring. And I get it. That's his emotion speaking. We are all feeling that same emotion of frustration, but that's not a solution. What are the real solutions? The only real solution, Dan, would be an absolute assault weapons ban. I mean, take all of them. We tried it for 10 years from 94 to 2004, it didn't work. By the way, that one didn't take all the guns. It just said no more new sales of assault weapons. But 85% of the of the weapons that are sold on the marketplace today are semi-automatic, you, you know, where people don't have to reload. You, you press the one bullet for one pull of the trigger. And that's what an AR-15 is. That's an AR-15, which is a scary gun that's used in most of these shootings, is really just sort of a long semi-automatic pistol. It just looks scarier. The The most deadly school shooting of all time was at Virginia Tech back in around 2004. That was done with handguns, semi-automatic handguns. So we, we come up with these checks, the kind Steve Kerr is pushing for, and it's because they will make us feel better because we feel like we need to be doing something the way we did after 9-11 with taking off our shoes at the airport. And it was no more than a comfort check. And while I'd love to go off on mental health and how we need to shore that up here, and we do, that's not going to fix it either. That This kid, this shooter, he had none of the red flags that would have flagged him for a background check. Not one. Not one. Not that's come out yet. And he has none of the red flags that would have even alarmed a normal person as like, oh, my God, he's a sociopath. He's killing animals. The closest thing was he, he shot a BB gun out of his car at random people. Terrible. Obviously, none of us would do that. But 
in many communities, they'd be like, he's a dopey teenager who did something stupid. Nothing in his background would have flagged him or prevented him. And in the states here that have said under 21, you can't have a gun, the laws have been overturned as unconstitutional. So even making it such that somebody his age couldn't get a gun is a non-starter. So we have to deal with the reality we're given. We are a huge country. We're way bigger than the UK. You know that. Mm. And we have lots of territory that's poorly protected by law enforcement where people really depend on their guns. God forbid somebody comes running across the southern border, a cartel member, a gang member, and they need their guns. And they're not going to be giving them up anytime soon. Even if we wanted to make them, it wouldn't happen. And so part of this leads you to the, the, the final conclusion of what can we do? We live in a free country where there are psychos and there is ubiquitous access to guns. And even if we passed every restriction the Democrats want right now, Dan, not much of that would change. And so, Megan, as a mum of children at school in the U.S., what do you do? Does it become about pressuring the schools to up security? I mean, what's What's the solution for you as a parent so you don't get that phone call that everyone dreads? Yes, a, a madman with a gun is most dangerous in a gun-free zone. Uh, I mean, that's just the truth. And they pick soft targets for a reason. Now at this school down in Texas, I'm, I, my understanding is from law enforcement that the, there was a school resource officer yeah. at the front with and a gun. he was armed. He was armed, but and the teachers were banned from teachers and administrators were, ba were banned from having guns. And down in Texas, had that ban not existed, the odds are pretty good somebody would have had a gun. Um, and so, what I would like to see, and I'm not saying this is the solution, but at least, at least, I would. How about you know we just gave forty billion dollars to Ukraine? Could could we have some of that money to shore up our schools to at least make it single point of access and put two guards there? The kids wouldn't even have to know. They don't necessarily even have to be in uniform, but armed guards there to keep okay. watch over our most precious. Terrifying situation, Megan Kelly. Thank you so much for that analysis. Of course, Megan, star uh, journalist, host of the brilliant Megan Kelly show, which you can find on Sirius XM, YouTube, and as a podcast. Time now for our positive professor, Carol Sikora. And with millions of folk all over the world now believing monkeypox is coming to infect them at almost any moment, the scaremongering over the previously little-known ailment uh, just seems to be off the scale, really. The hysteria being spread by the health establishment, especially the World Health Organization, aided and abetted by the mainstream media, is gaslighting, in my opinion. Experts are warning there is a risk that monkeypox could become endemic in Europe if the current outbreak isn't brought under control. Monkeypox is continuing to spread, so we're going to be answering your questions. Anyone who's been told by the health authorities that they've had high-risk contact with an infected person has to isolate for 21 days. That means anyone who's been a household contact, a sexual contact, or has even changed an infected person's bedding without appropriate protective gear. The desire to make us scared by talking about an illness that has been around for decades and has known treatments is part of the plan, I think, to keep us in a cycle of fear. Well, Carol Sikora was previously head of the cancer operation for the World Health Organization. He's here to provide his medical expertise with a much needed dose of reason. So Carol does, the monkeypox reaction show hysteria has almost become enshrined in the modern public health playbook post-COVID. 
I'm afraid so, Dan. It really has. You know, I'd not heard of monkeypox before. I've been a doctor for 50 years nearly. And obviously, smallpox, cowpox, uh, chickenpox, they're all related viruses, big viruses, totally different from corona. It's, it's a sign of the times. You know, we, we've seen restriction of people's freedom across the world, some countries really devastatingly bad. Um, you know, if it's in the name of public health, that's great if it's important. But the evidence base for a lot of those restrictions, whether it's lockdown, whether it's travel bans, whether it's filling ridiculously long forms in multiple languages to say where you're going to stay when you enter a country, whether it's doing PCR tests and so on, there was no evidence base for all that. And of course, if you take total health, which you have to in any healthcare system, whether it's the NHS here or other systems in Europe and other countries, it's got to be how you can actually help the most people of the population. And if you get distracted by this monkeypox, 57 cases, maybe 62 now, who knows? No one's in hospital, no one's on a ventilator, people get better, doesn't look good. You get scars. You've just seen the pictures, and I've seen you argue with some of your 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 participants in your program. I've been away for two days working abroad, but I've seen them now, and there's no doubt this is hysteria, and it's, it fills newspapers inches, you know. I know, but Carol, we've got to step away from that because otherwise, people are going to be living in constant terror. And I find it so disturbing that immediately, Carol, you know, you've got organisations, you've got government saying, oh, we will have a 21 legal mandatory lockdown period. We didn't ever have stuff like that before. Can't we all just take a breather? I think so. Tomorrow I'm going to go on the train to London with an Ebola suit, you know, these things with a helmet, and just go on the train and say, I'm scared of monkeypox to everybody and see the reaction. <laughs> it's a complete overreaction to it. And of course, you know, people with high visibility vests and clipboards are in their element with all this going on directing people. I think we've got to get out of this. It's, it's a reflection of the fear inspired by coronavirus. Something else comes along, we think it's going to be as bad. You know, yeah. people do but this get this isn't it. even you, Carol. And there's a no, vaccine, there's treatment, you know, and you've got sly news sending alerts to my phone every day saying there were seven new cases of monkeypox. Who cares? It's manipulation. Exactly. I mean, if you take the diseases that are killing people in Britain, it's heart disease, cancer and stroke. These are the things we have to go for. A lot of it's preventable. And those that are not prevented, we can treat. But if you get deviated into corona or monkeypox now, you're going to spend a lot of effort, a lot of money and a lot of professional time, doctors, nurses, healthcare workers around the place, deviating from what's really important in medicine and people will suffer. So let's not do it. Let's keep righteous and on target for the total health of the population, not something that's an artifact of the media. Sage advice as ever from our very calm and considered positive professor, Carol Segura, thank you so much. Now we're going to cross straight now live to Florida in the US, where I'm joined by the estranged sister of the Duchess of Sussex, Samantha Markle. Now, as I sadly reported yesterday, 
Meghan's father, Thomas Markle, has worryingly suffered from a major stroke. He is currently in an American hospital. The medical emergency tragically happened just seven days before Thomas, who's just such a great guy, a good man, was due to fly out to London to join us here at GB News for our coverage of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. So, Samantha, this has just been terrible news. Firstly, and most importantly, how is Thomas doing today? Oh, oh, um, even the, he's he's doing better. He's um he's in good spirits, and so I you know it's still hard for me to talk about because he's been through so much. It, um, two heart attacks, a pandemic, a stroke. You know, and and to, I mean, I don't think he saw it coming, but um, he's doing better. He's in good spirits. Um, I'm just so thankful to God that I called him when I did. I know. Um, because he was he was slurring his speech. He couldn't talk, and had you know, I feel like had we not um, gotten emergency care right away, it could have been fatal. So, um. I feel, excuse me, I feel really, sorry. I'm so sorry, Samantha, really just blessed. take I feel really blessed. Oh, I feel really blessed. He is, he's gaining some of his strength back. And uh, it's going to take several, maybe six months, maybe a year to get his speech back. Okay. Uh, and he can work with a speech therapist, and it's good. I mean, this this stroke he had in the speech production part of the brain um, wasn't so big that he can't recover. But you know, when you're almost eighty years old, you're, there's less plasticity, and things are more difficult. So while he has the memory of the words and the associations. Um, retraining the the stroke was in the right side of the brain, so the damage was on the left, and he's left-handed, but it also impaired his speech and his ability to swallow. Oh. Uh, and Samantha, what's so devastating you know, about? Sorry, you go, Samantha. No, just all things considered, it's amazing that he's in good spirits. And thank God, uh, he's you know, alive. we're we're not we're you know we're. Um, walking on eggshells and and um, sad and having a tough time, but he's being our trooper. Yeah, yeah. And he's a great man. And what is so devastating is, of course, he was due here in London in just a few days' time. Uh, Samantha, yeah. I just I just want to play you a, a little bit of our interview with Thomas from just a couple of weeks ago the last major interview he gave where he spoke about his excitement for coming to London and, and also the fact that he hoped to reunite uh, with Meghan and Harry while he was here. I'm getting the feeling that if they know I'm coming, they won't be coming. Mm. But uh, if they do come, I, I would love to, I would love to uh, reach out and, uh, and, and speak with them and, and, and try to figure out what, what went wrong and how we can repair it. Uh, I don't see that happening, but I certainly would like to try. And Samantha, what that interview showed me so clearly is that Thomas holds forgiveness in his heart. 
He is desperate to reunite with your sister Megan in order to meet the grandchildren who he has never even got to see in the flesh, Archie and Lilibet. Uh, dare I ask Samantha if the family or, or Thomas or you or your brother have heard from either Megan or Harry since your dad was rushed to hospital in this emergency? No, no. And and let me speak to something very important. My father has a huge heart. And, you know, even though he was not in the wrong, although I've seen trolls out there and people in social media saying, oh, well, you know, he was bashing her in public. No, he was defending himself and he was speaking truthfully while still always reaching out to her. He wasn't bashing her and the public didn't know he was responding to a media agenda. He was responding to paid PR that made him look awful. He, there were, even though she didn't publicly speak out against him, neither did she advocate publicly for him, knowing that he was being tortured in the media. So when he was speaking out and he had a right to defend himself and set the record straight, straight that is not bashing. And through all of that and feeling like he was unjustly defending himself um, because he didn't do anything wrong, she, I believe, had a moral obligation, in my opinion, to step forward at any time to heart attacks. There were no staged photos. There was no scandal. That was a setup. That was a lie. Never did she step forward and say, God, please respect my father. He's done nothing wrong. We'll work this out. Never did she contact him to work it out. Never did she make a public statement or contact him privately to, to make amends as a humanitarian and as the daughter that he loves so much and gave the world to. I mean, everything that she has now would not exist without my father. And so that being said, you know, God, if, if two heart attacks, a pandemic and a stroke don't speak to her, then it's between her and God now. There is no other way. If she so can't jealous. find it in her heart and doesn't have the moral conscience to reach back to him while he's, his life hangs in a balance and he's reaching out to her, then there is no point. And then shame on her, in my opinion. And she's got to live with that. And if she can do that, well, then she can take that to her grave. That's a choice she has to make. And, um, but my father's getting stronger. And um, I'm just going to tell her, like, sands through the hourglass. She doesn't have a lot of time to fix this. And it is her moral obligation to fix this. It is. And, sh and she will regret it, Samantha, for the rest of her life if she does not pick up the phone and speak to her ailing father, who is a good man. I, I feel so strongly about that. Now, Samantha, you mentioned these trolls. Uh, now, I was told that some of these trolls who had been targeting your father, they're known as the Sussex squad. We both know what they're right. like. They're deeply unpleasant people. That these trolls had been causing your father so much stress that that actually his, his blood pressure had increased be before the stroke as a result. Is that true? Well, they would love to take credit for that because they're mentally unhinged. They're, you know, just vile people. Social media can be toxic. 
But I think the bigger picture is that her disregard, in my opinion, never reaching out, never advocating for him through two heart attacks, through a pandemic, knowing that he was trapped in the house because of media pressure. And during a pandemic, everybody was more sedentary and reclusive and not going out. So all things taken together really took a toll on his health. And she had to foresee that this wouldn't be good for him. So I feel there's a negligence there. I, in my opinion, I feel like it's, it's, in my opinion, elder abuse because she had to see what's happening and not work to help him to reciprocate, to make sure he was yeah. taken care of and loved and everything that he deserves. And so there is no excuse for the disregard. There is no excuse for the, for the callous observation of everything that he was going through. And she wasn't blind to it. She saw what was happening in the media. So I don't understand uh, how she could just do nothing watching it all. You and, know, and, it just, and Sam, we're in this crazy situation at the moment where you, your dad is in a hospital in the US, literally Megan, his daughter, who he previously had a very strong relationship with before she entered the royal family, is literally, I checked on my Google Maps, she's literally a three and a half hour drive away. She could get in her car right now and be by your father's bedside in three and a half hours from her home in Montecito. There's also the issue, Samantha, of the cost of medical treatment. It's very likely that Thomas is going to need months and months of 24-7 rehabilitation. We know she is a multi-millionaire now. She's got more money than she ever needs. Uh, do you feel like it's her moral responsibility to, at the very least, help fund your dad's treatment? Given the fact that, you know, and he never wanted repayment. That's not what the principle is. Given the fact that he gave her everything from her first steps, private kindergarten, private, you know, elementary school, private junior high, private, everything, uh, apartments, and she wanted for nothing. And so, you know, I, I don't think... And a lot of people like to say, well, she doesn't have to, you know, pay him back. No, she doesn't. But it's what's right in terms of reciprocating as our parents get older, our parents who gave us everything. You can't take everything from him and watch him suffer. No, who does that? And, and, you know, and, and you brought up a good point, um, Dan. You know, the bottom line is she used to brag about him on the TIG. She did little videos bragging about how. He wished her, you know, the best of luck when she went on auditions and she kept his little notes uh, in a trinket box on the nightstand. That didn't all go away. Why? Because there, uh, we know there was a lot that happened at the wedding. There was a lot of dishonesty that occurred. And so rather than just be honest and be embracing, I guess, it seems like it made better sense in her mind to keep everyone away, including the father who gave her everything because yeah. he could talk and tell But, but the thing is, and, Sam, that are... is water under the bridge now. You know, Thomas is in serious medical strife and this is her last chance. So if you had an opportunity, Samantha, because you know she will see this, 
if is there anything you would like to say directly to Megan tonight? Um, you know, she she sees she sees all of this. Um, I I'm getting the feeling though that I would be spinning my wheels to try and appeal to her heart or her moral conscience because God, if two heart attacks didn't, you know, shake that reality loose and that understanding, that awareness, a pandemic. um, And and she knows about the stroke now. Um, He could die. And I, I don't know. I mean, we haven't seen anything come out of her to suggest that that would be heartbreaking or crush her. And if it's not, then then there's there's a huge problem. I, I there's a huge disconnect. I I really don't have anything more to say to her. Um, well, look, but, Samantha, but you know, does. you know how wonderful I think your family is. I think you have been portrayed appallingly uh, by much of the media. I know from speaking to you all day yesterday, you are beside yourself about your dad's health. So I send you so much love. I send your dad even more love. And you know what? We'll get him here, hopefully, to London one day. Samantha Markle, do do keep in touch with us, okay? Thank you. I sent him everyone's love from the UK. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sam. Dan Wooden here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Wooden tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News. <laughs>